Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. back here a bit. Well, I like being down here at uh, St. Luke's Hilton Head. You have a pretty good rector, and it's always good to be with him. And you have a pretty good assistant, Nathan. It's good to be with you. And two pretty good deacons. And it's a pretty good congregation. There's a lot of good people here. I suspect you consider yourselves good people. And I bet some of these youth who are being confirmed, you're pretty good, aren't you? And if you were to describe your congregation to someone, you'd say it's a good congregation. And you probably hope that if someone were to speak about you, they'd say, oh, She's a good woman or a good lady, and he's a good man. But you know, a good man's hard to find. (laughs) But there's probably a lot of them here. But what do we mean by that word? Good? Are there some places where your goodness breaks down? You have one of the finest rectors I know. I mean that. I even like him. But there are some times that he doesn't quite get it done. There's times he's just not good enough for all that he has to do. I think of myself as a pretty good bishop. But there's other people who think otherwise. There's times my goodness just breaks down. And when that happens, I need a good shepherd. Someone to find me in my place of need. That's what Jesus said about himself. He said he was the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired shepherd, who is a hired man and not the shepherd, when he sees the trouble coming, he gets out of the way. Because he's a hired shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now that word shepherd, of course, had deep roots. In the Old Testament, when Jesus used it, that word shepherd goes back a long ways in Near Eastern culture. It went back to the time of David when David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He was the shepherd. Perhaps you, you, you've heard Handel's Messiah that takes right out of the, the book of Isaiah and he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. So when Jesus said, use that term shepherd, it had all those meanings to it and more that I don't have time to go into. But he added a word in front of shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. And that word in the original language in which it is written in your Bible, that word good has two meanings. The first meaning is I am the genuine, the authentic one, the true one. There was, in Jesus' day, just as there is in our day, a lot of phoniness in the whole realm of religion. There are people that think if you wear one of these robes, you're a phony. I tend to agree with them. But I'm wearing it today, I'm sorry. You know, you can dress up somebody and he's still a jackass. But, you know, you wear all of this and it hides some of it. But when Jesus used that word good, let me regain my composure. My wife's laughing at me. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the authentic one, the genuine one. There was, in Jesus' day, as there is in our day, a lot of phoniness, a lot of... Inauthenticity in the whole realm of religion. You turn on your television set and some preacher is preaching about something. And after he preaches the sermon, he then asks for money. We just send a plate your way. And you think, is he just in this for what he can get out of it? There was a lot of inauthenticity. In Jesus' day, and so when he said, I am the good shepherd, he meant I am the genuine one. I'm the authentic one. I'm the true one. And you will know my authenticity because I will lay down my life for the sheep. He meant another thing by that word, good. Besides authentic and genuine and true, he meant I'm able I am capable. I'm good at what I do. I can get the job done. You know, in the way that we say a person's a good carpenter, we mean they can get the job done. And what was Jesus good at doing when he walked this earth? He was good at finding people in their place of need. Good at finding them in their place of need. You know, some people have eyes to see the soul that hides itself. 
has eyes to see the deep things in each of us that we sometimes don't even see in ourselves. Or if we do see it in ourselves, we don't speak about it to others. It's as if they can look right into the heart. And Jesus was good at that. He was very good about talking about what a tough winter it's been. To talking about the winter of one's discontent. He can go from talking about the lightning and rainstorm last night to the storm in your own life. That you don't even speak about to another person. He was good at finding people in their place of need. He found Peter when he was locked in his guilt. Peter thought he was a pretty good person. He thought he was a cut above the rest of the disciples whom he thought were pretty good people. That makes him a better than a pretty good person. The night that Jesus was arrested, when they were walking to the garden after the Last Supper in the upper room, and Jesus was talking about how every one of them would forsake him, he said, Lord, though everyone else forsake you, I will not forsake you. That was a promise, you know. You ever make a promise? You know, life hangs upon promises. You ever notice how, have you ever thought about how important promises are in life? A man and a woman stand before God in the presence of of a minister in, in a church and they make a promise to one another. And each depends upon that promise. And then the children depend upon that promise. And if that promise isn't kept, somebody's hurt and hurt badly. And sometimes children are hurt who weren't involved in the promise, but the promise that was made, that was not kept, breaks their hearts and breaks their lives. And some of them don't even recover from them. My guess is there are some pretty good people here who have been hurt pretty badly by a broken promise. They thought they were getting a promise and they got a wish. A wish that was gone in the outbound plane. Promises are important. We hang our lives upon promises. And when those promises break, we break. You children, you're making some promises today. Promises that I don't think you can live up to. And some of the adults are making promises today, too. In your confirmation, promises that I don't think you can live up to. You know why I tell you that? I tell you that because there's one who made a promise to you and he won't break it. And that's the only hope you have. His promise. And he made a promise. And his promise is that I am the good shepherd. I am able to find you when your promise breaks down. When your goodness breaks down, he is able. Peter's promise broke down that night. 
And Jesus said it would. He said, Peter, you've made me this promise. But before the night is over, before the cock crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. I was reading that passage just this past week in my personal devotions, and it hit me in a new way. Listen to these words from Luke's Gospel. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. That means he's from Galilee, where Jesus lived. He had a Galilean accent. Some people, you know, when, you, when you're from the south and you travel outside of the south, they know you're from the south. And some of you are down here from New Jersey. I know I've heard. You're from New Jersey. Your accent gives you away. This man is, was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. I don't know the man. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. Peter turned and looked at him. How did he look at him? Do you think it was with the look of judgment, the furrowed brow of condemnation? Have you ever had that furrowed brow of condemnation look at you? I don't think it was that way. I think it was with the eyes of love that he looked at Peter. And then the text says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I read that text in my morning devotions and I thought of Peter going outside and weeping bitterly. You ever let someone down that you love? And you look at them in their grief? And you, you just feel so deeply hurt that you hurt them that badly? We've all done it, I suppose. One day when my one of my sons was about six years old, I decided to take him on a backpacking trip. I grew up in the mountains of California, and I loved to backpack as a young boy and as a young man, and now as an old man. So when my son, one son, turned six, I decided to take him on a backpacking trip. We went up into the mountains of the Sierra Nevadas, and we hiked downhill. I wanted to make the beginning easy. So we hiked about four miles down into a canyon and began setting up camp, pitching the tent and that sort of thing. But after we were setting up camp, I realized I left something up in the car that we couldn't do without. And I didn't want my son to have to walk four miles, 2,000 foot climb up the mountain 
I could run up there in a hurry and get it and take us several hours. Little six-year-old boy climbing 2,000 feet, high elevation. So I said, Chad, you stay right here on this rock. And I'll run back. Oh, no, Daddy, don't, don't leave me here. I said, you'll be okay, Chad. I could go much faster if I just run up the hill. You just stay here. No, Dad. No, Chad. Stay here. And I dashed up those four miles running both ways. And when I got back to the rock, I realized I had made a big mistake. His little eyes were red and he was crying his eyes out. And I wanted to go away and weep bitterly. Filled with guilt. I'd let someone down. Some of you have been on the other end of that as well. Let someone you love down. But Jesus found Peter when his goodness broke down. Oh, he was a pretty good person, but his goodness broke down. And Jesus found him one day after the resurrection, you remember? And said they went for a walk. And Peter is still feeling the guilt of, of that, not betrayal, but, but what was it? Denial, falling short, not doing what you need to do. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my lambs in. And he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And then he says, Lord, you know everything. You knew I was going to betray you. You even said I was going to betray you. You know everything. Feed my lambs, Peter. He found him in his guilt. And he can find you when your goodness breaks down. He found Martha in her busyness. Remember, Jesus had come to their house to stay with the disciples. They were there for dinner. And Martha was preparing the meal. Busy, 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 Martha. She was all in a hurry. Some of us are in a hurry all the time. I live my life in a hurry. I mean, let me tell you how bad it is. I'll walk into a McDonald's restaurant to get something to eat that I don't need, but I am in a hurry and I've got to get the food. And I look and I try to figure out which cash register is going to go the fastest. Which line is the shortest? And who seems to be the most efficient? And I choose the wrong one every time and bounce around to another one. I get in the other cash line and that one slows down. I might as well just stay where I am because whatever one I'm in is going to be the slowest. And it's even worse than that. I'll be coming up to a stoplight. And I'll try to figure out which car is going to go first. As if you can tell. I mean, if it's one of those caravans, vans, I figure every time it's going to be slow. 
You just can't predict it, though. You know, you see the BMW and think that one's going to take off. And sometimes they're on a cell phone and don't even move. I don't know if I'm the only one that's like that. I don't think I am. Because I was reading a book by a pastor the other day. And the pastor said he went to this spiritual leader that he admired. The man's name was Dallas Willard. He went to Dr. Dallas Willard and said, I've got to get my church going, going forward. It's stuck on dead center. What do you suggest to me? Is there some book that we can read? Is there some prayer formula? Is there some program that I can use to get my church moving forward? And you know what Dallas Willard told him? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The pastor said, you got this. You, you must have misunderstood. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the congregation. What I can do to get them moving forward. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Wow. That's my problem. I get in such a hurry that I can't find God and he can't find me. My wife likes to say it's hard to hit a moving object. And she should know. She's moving all the time. Martha was moving all the time. And God said through Jesus, Martha, you're troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. And Mary's chosen the better portion. And it won't be taken from her. He found Martha in her worry and hurry. And anxiety. He's good at finding people in their place of need. One more and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Because some of you are in a hurry and got to get to the next thing. You don't know what you're going to do with that extra five minutes that I don't preach. But you know you've got to get it. He found Mary in her loneliness. When she went to the tomb on Easter morning, you remember Mary Magdalene? She's the one that the Bible says Jesus delivered her from seven devils. I don't have the slightest idea what it's like to be possessed by seven devils. But it must have been hell. Voices inside driving her. Never satisfied. Always condemning her. She's never good enough. Addictions that grabbed hold of her heart. Anxieties that never let her go. Resentments that she couldn't let go of. Fears that kept her in bondage. All kinds of things pressing in upon her life. It was hardly worth living. And she didn't know where to turn. And then Jesus came and set her free. And for the first time in her life, she had peace in a heart that had been tormented all her life. But then one day she saw him 
his arms stretched upon the cross. And he was dead and buried. And she wondered if the seven devils would come back now that he was gone. And she went to the tomb that Easter morning and she was filled with loneliness and fears. There's some people here, I have no doubt, who know the kind of loneliness she felt. We have a priest in this diocese, you know, who retired here in the diocese from New England. He used to vacation here in the Low Country, he and his wife. And they always talked about they would retire here to the Low Country. And when he had finished his years of ministry and went into retirement and moved down here to the Low Country, they were here for three months and his wife got cancer. And he spent the next months caring for her until she died. And then he was lonely. He was lonely. And didn't know what was going to fill the loneliness. So he turned to the Lord. Who found him in his loneliness. Last time I was up visiting that church. He had just gotten married. It was several years later. And the Lord brought somebody into his life. But until that moment. Only the Lord could fill the loneliness. I don't know. I don't know most of you. Even your faces. Some of you I know your faces. And some of you I know even your names. But I don't know the deals, things you struggle with. But I know one who knows them. And he made a promise to you. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I call them by name, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And when your goodness fails, mine will not, for I am the authentic one, the genuine one, the true one. I am the one who is able to find you in your place of need, whatever it is. And my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. I pray you hear his voice tonight, this morning. And in hearing his voice, you follow. For he has said, I am not like those phony shepherds who see the wolf coming. I have come not to plunder you, but that you might have life and have it with abundance. So I make a promise, he said to you. I am the good shepherd, and I know you by name. And no one, not even your broken promises, will snatch you out of my hand. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this promise that your Son, Jesus Christ, has made to us. And we pray that this day, when we uh, are in the midst of whatever issues that we have brought us into this church,
whatever problems might lurk within our lives, unspoken or spoken. We pray, Lord, that this day we might hear the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And having heard his voice, may trust that he knows our need and is able to meet it in his time and in his way. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.